Hi. Hello, Andre. How are you doing? I'm fine. Thanks. Nice to see you. <laughs> it's nice to see you too. Unfortunately, I can't say hello in Klingon because I had to learn from you that there is no such word in Klingon. Yeah, that's correct. Klingons just start right away talking about uh, whatever they want to say. They 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 don't waste their time greeting people. Because yesterday I stumbled upon your crash course, your Klingon crash course. Ah, on YouTube? Yes, exactly. And that's why I could pick up some information. It is really interesting, yeah. <laughs> mm, yeah, thanks. Thank you for, for being here and taking the time. I'm gonna introduce myself. I am Daniel. As you know, I come from Switzerland, from the German-speaking part. My project is pretty simple. I started out podcasting in English in order to improve my speaking skills because I, I get no practice at all. And, and that's my method. I interview people and at the same time I can share my experience and of course the experience of the experts and I try to inspire other people so that they can get fluent in in what language it may be, right? But my focus is on English. I would say let's begin or do you have any questions? Oh I think we can we can start right away. Okay, perfect. Yeah. So would you please introduce yourself? In English or in Klingon? No, better in English. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so my name is Andre, Andre Müller. I'm originally from Germany. Uh, I was born in Leipzig and now I live in Leipzig again. But I, I spent around eight years or seven and a half years in Switzerland, in Zurich, uh, where I did my PhD in linguistics. And uh, well, after that, I came back to Leipzig. I'm not only a linguist, I'm also, I would say, a polyglot because I love learning languages. And even though I'm not fluent in all of my languages, I, I just really love learning new languages. And among them are several languages of Southeast Asia or Asia in general, because that's one of my main interests, but also artificial languages. So I speak Esperanto and I speak Klingon. Yeah. Nice. And we will learn more at the end of this episode, because first we would like to focus on Klingon. Let's get to the ground. So what is Klingon? Klingon is an artificial language that was created by a linguist for the movies and the series of Star Trek. So uh, if you know Star Trek, that's a very famous science fiction series from the US and it's been it started in the uh, 1960s and it's been going on and especially this year there are so many new seasons of shows that that are already on on TV or available online and um, so there's a group of aliens uh, called the Klingons in the beginning there used to be the bad guys but then um, relationship with the with the federation with us improved and so now they are not not really the bad guys so yeah I see. and yeah and the studio uh, said that ah, let's make a realistic language for them so they hired a linguist from the u.s mark okrand and he invented klingon as a language with vocabulary grammar pronunciation and he invents new words uh, every year and and increases the language 
And it's actually used and learned by uh, several fans of, not only fans of Star Trek, but fans of constructed languages. So, yeah, I'm one of them. I speak Klinger. <laughs> nice. And I think that, or let's say, I first thought that it was Scotty from from the series who, who invented the language, but... But then uh, I learned that I, I was not right. So maybe you could explain more about that. Actually, you are right. And, and I, I left that out for, for brevity. But um, it's true that for the first Star Trek movie, they said, um, okay, let's have the Klingons speak in Klingon. And then they didn't hire anyone, but the actor who played Scotty in, in Star Trek, um, James Doohan, he said, yeah, oh, let's just uh, write down some wee little words that they can say. <laughs> and so he, he just came up with words that sounded um, exotic to him. So words that have a lot of and and yeah. inside. And he, he wrote down like eight words or, or eight lines that, or seven that we can hear in the first movie, but they didn't have any meaning assigned to them. So just some words that the Klingon commander uh, can say to his crewmates. And then for the third movie in, I think it was 1984 or five, Mark Okrand was hired and he used those seven or eight words and uh, said, okay, um, well, at this point they say cha, so ch should be a phoneme, uh, a speech sound in that language. And then he created the grammar and more vocabulary out of that. So he, in so Mark Okrand invented the language, but yeah. One could say James Doohan gave it a, a little start and invented the first few words. Okay, yeah, that sounds really interesting. So my question now was, what inspired you to learn Klingon? But it is obvious, right? It's because of, of the series. Yeah, and, and you're right. Um, I think it started in 1996 or so when I was still in, in school. And I watched Star Trek, which was on TV at that time. Oh, still is, but yeah. And I was a big fan of, of Star Trek. And of course, I heard a little bit of spoken Klingon in the series. And I thought, wow, cool, a chat each and, and so on. Wow, interesting words. Um, but then I saw in the, in the bookshop that they had the Klingon dictionary out. And you can actually buy it and learn the language. So I, I, I bought it for, from my, my pocket money. I bought the German version because uh, that was in Germany, but I can also show the, the English version of the book, the awesome. Klingon dictionary. <laughs> yeah. So you can actually, it's not only a dictionary. It also has the basic grammar inside and uh, you can learn um, all about it. And so I started in 1996 to, to go through the book and, um, oh yeah. And also I should say, I was always interested in languages. So um Maybe in 1996, I don't know. I, I didn't speak a lot of languages. I just like German and English from school. And I think I knew a little bit of like the Greek alphabet and the, um, the Cyrillic alphabet and the Arabic alphabet. But languages in general were interesting to me. So I thought like, wow, a language from Star Trek. I have to try to learn this. But then only later, much later in 2003 or four or so, I... I, I picked up the book again and thought like, wait, I, I, now I know more about languages and now I can actually understand what, what he wrote. And then I started to, to really learn it again. That is really nice. And so can we say that Klingon in a way 
showed you the direction to to the linguistics field yeah it it sort of did so i would not say that if i hadn't met klingon that i wouldn't have studied linguistics but many things about languages i understood through klingon actually because klingon is an agglutinative language that means that you have a root of a word and then you add suffixes little yeah. endings one after another like turkish like hungarian finnish um, they they work in similar ways and this was something new to me i i used to know german and english and a little french and uh, maybe a bit of chinese as well but i felt like wow you can actually add words it's like playing with legos and <laughs> yeah also some things like the so-called causative that may maybe you know this from some languages it's a suffix or a, a function that you can apply to a verb to make um it, it means to cause someone to do something like if you have the word to eat and you add a suffix or you change the verb a little bit uh, and it means to cause someone to eat which usually yeah. means to feed yeah and and i i didn't know that this was possible because i was young and <laughs> then i saw wow klingon has this this is wow this is interesting And then I saw, well, this is actually quite common in the languages of the world. Many languages have that. Hmm. And how do people react when they get to know for the first time that that you are fluent in Klingon? Ah, uh, some some love. <laughs> some find it really <laughs> funny because either they they find it cool because they know I already know a lot of languages, and then I also know Klingon. Wow, or or because they know I'm a Star Trek fan, so they think, wow, okay. He's really a geek or a nerd. He, yeah, I he even knows Klingon. Yeah. Uh, some people um, think that, wow, that's a waste of time. That's so meaningless. Why don't you learn another language, a real language? And then I'd say, well, I already know a couple of real mm. languages. And, and then I explain to them that, yeah, okay, real languages are useful and necessary. And it's, it's good to learn them, of course. But then there are hobbies and I think even learning an artificial language like Esperanto or Klingon as a hobby, just for fun, just because I enjoy talking to people yes. in Klingon or having a blog in Klingon or something or in Esperanto, that that can give joy to me. I, I enjoy that. It's like other people playing the guitar or playing chess. Yeah, exactly. They, yeah, they, they don't usually want yeah. to play in a band and become famous or win the chess uh, championships. They just want to enjoy themselves. And um, yeah, for me, that's Klingon and Esperanto and some other natural languages too. It's a hobby. And I mean, we don't judge others when they say, I like going uh, to the cinema. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a hobby and, and, and that's yeah. it, right? And, uh, and we have joy in doing such things. Exactly, so, yeah. Is Klingon based on an existing language? Not really. Or is so, it truly constructed? I would say it's truly constructed. So the inventor, Mark Okrand, planned to, to make the language as different from English as possible so that it's not like, you know, he could, he could have said, like, well, this word is that word, this word is that word, and the grammar is just like English. But he wanted it to be really credible and different from, from languages from Earth. So he also included some points that are really rare in the languages of the world, like the combination of sounds that exists. You know, usually a language is, the sound system of a language is um, very regular and you have, like you have K, T, P 
and then you have the uh, voice sounds uh, g, and so on, but not in Klingon. Klingon, you have P and T, but you don't have a K sound. You have a K sound instead. And you don't have B, D, G. You have B, but uh, the D is pronounced different. It's it B, and the, the G doesn't exist, but it has R, and so on. So um, he didn't base it on, on natural languages, but mm-hmm, I see. of course, if, if you look at it, um, all the features you can find in Klingon, almost all of them are also found in natural languages, but you find them in Greenlandic and this feature you find in Swahili mm. and that feature you find in Chinese. So it's a, it's a mix. Okay. And you, you told us before something like the new words, right? So, I mean, what happens when new words come up in Klingon. So is it always um, Mark Orkrant who decides that it goes to the dictionary, to the official dictionary, right? That, that's actually exactly the case. Every year there are two um, meetings. Well, during Corona times, it's difficult. So these meetings are online. But usually yeah. they happen. One meeting, it's the PEPA, it happens in the US. And the other one is the PEPROM. It happens in <laughs> Saarbrücken in Germany. And um, Mark Okrand is usually present and he reveals new words. Um, and this is always, everyone is so happy and, and looking forward to the new words. And so he comes up with these words and he gives an explanation, sometimes some okay. sample sentences. And it's, it's really him who invents the words. So if I think, ah, oh, damn, I don't have a word for, I don't know, a word for cardboard or a word for um, uh, peanut or so, I cannot just say, oh, well, let's say it's, it's now the word kur uh, uh, or something, because um, I, I'm not an authority in the sense that mm. I can make up words. So, uh, But I could ask Mark Okrand. I could say, I, I have this translation project. I really need a word for cardboard. Can you make one up? And then maybe if I'm lucky, he will get back to me and say, okay. uh, yeah, um, that's the word. <laughs> That sounds complicated, right? He's like the, the king or the, the guru. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, it's a bit and, like that. And how can yeah. we think of the gathering? I mean, I am seeing this picture right now before my eyes, uh, a bunch of followers dressed uh, as a Klingon going to this gathering, or or how, how does it work? <laughs> um, I, I, yeah, there are a few people who, who dress up as Klingons with, with Klingon foreheads on, yeah. on their forehead and um, uh, Klingon swords uh, and the butlet, the famous Klingon sword. So cool. <laughs> yeah, but I would say these are the minority of the people who attend those gatherings, maybe 10% or maybe 15% mm-hmm. or so. Uh, most of the people are like dressed normally, or maybe maybe they wear a, Kling- a Klingon t-shirt or something. But um, yeah. But it's always mixed. Some people are not really that much interested in the language, but they love the gatherings and the, they they like they enjoy being there and hearing a little bit about Klingon. Some people are eager to learn the language and they go there, and some people already I know see. the language yeah. quite well and they go there to speak it, to practice it, and to um, maybe learn a little bit more about the language. Yeah. And actually, how many people in the world speak Klingon? That's very difficult to say. It's, so it also depends on what it means to speak Klingon. Like there are people who are really fluent, who know all the words, and they're like around 5,000 words. 
I would say the people who know all the words and can speak it fluently, maybe 20, 30, 40, and people who can really converse in Klingon, I would count myself in, in that group. Mm. I can speak it almost fluently, but sometimes I struggle and sometimes I have to think about words or I mix up a prefix or something. Um, that could be uh, 50, 60, 70, 60, maybe 60, uh, but this is just a guess. And then there are, of course, people who know a little bit of Klingon. They, they do the course on Duolingo and they maybe they have the book and are reading this and practice a little bit. Um, maybe that's 200 people who can hold a small conversation in Klingon. Okay, and compared to other languages such as Esperanto or, let's say, French, how difficult is it? Yeah, how difficult is it? Um, I would say it's not that difficult. Um, it's actually easier than most natural languages, including French, I would say, because Klingon is very regular. The grammar is, as I said, quite exotic or, let's say, not like European languages, but it's very regular. So if you learn a rule, it usually applies to, to the whole language. You can use it all the time. There are a few exceptions, but um, you can manage them. It's, it's like, oh, okay, well, uh, this rule works for everything, but not these three verbs or mm -hmm. something like that. Mm -hmm. The difficulty is that uh, you cannot derive the words from other languages that you know. Sure, so, yeah. Yeah, so when I learn French or Russian or I don't know, then I I at least can think, oh, yeah, this word, I, I know mm. this English has the same word or a similar word. It's an international word. Esperanto is easy because we Europeans know all the words already, basically. <laughs> and the grammar is also very regular. For Klingon, the grammar is regular, but a bit different. But the words I have to learn, like, for example, the word for water um, is big. Okay. I cannot derive that from aqua, wasser, water, shui, or something. How how mm. would you say I drink water? Big witlut. Okay, yeah, that so sounds big funny. Is water and witlut is I drink it. And there you already notice that the object comes first and then comes the verb. Big witlut. Hmm. Klingon has a, a object verb subject word order, so it's the inverse of the of the usual English word order. I see, I see. And what about the peculiarities? So are there maybe some peculiarities that comes to mind in the mm -hmm. language? What, yeah, what, I'm, what, mm -hmm. what I mean by that, for example, I learned from a book, there is this indigenous tribe of Brazil called Piraha. Mm -hmm. And for example, they don't use words for color. It mm -hmm. doesn't exist. They, they always use a word like blood for a red thing, for example. Mm -hmm. And what is even more strange to me is that they don't use any number words. This yeah, is really right. strange to me. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes people ask me, can you explain how Klingon works? And then I explain a little bit. And a few features are really strange or unusual, I would say. One of them is that Klingon does not have gender. So it's not masculine, feminine, neuter words, but that's normal in the world. But it has something similar. So when you um, when you put the plural ending on the word, you have to decide between three plural endings. And they depend on if the word is a, a, a thing, if it's mm. a person, 
or if it's a body part. So um, if you say the plural of a thing, for example, pak uh, is a book, and books is pakmei. So there is mei as the ending. Um, if you describe people, so klingon is a klingon. If you say klingons, several klingons, it's not klingon mei, but klingon pu, because it's a person capable of speech. So you have a different ending. And then for body parts, um, for example, um, uh, min, min is the eye, and min, uh, min du is uh, eyes. So you don't say min mei or min pu, but min du. And, and um, yeah, that's, that's quite rare in the languages of the world that you have a, a noun class for body parts yeah. only. What could be an explanation for that, that there is a specific thing for body parts? Yeah, hmm. so good question. So um, Mark Okran never explained why this is the case in the language, but of course we can, we can assume and we can imagine. Maybe it's because body parts usually come in, in, in two. You have two eyes, two arms, even Klingons have two arms. They have <laughs> other things that are twice. <laughs> so they have two hearts, they have two stomachs, I guess, two livers, and other things. Um, and um, so maybe originally in proto-Klingon thousands, thousands of years ago, maybe this do ending was something like the dual, like in, in some languages that have a, a dual, like I think Arabic has it or, or used to have it, where when you have two things, you have a different kind of plural just for two. Maybe that's the origin. Yeah, okay, I mm. see. Well, I wanted to ask you where should learners begin with their journey in Klingon? I mean, you mentioned before Duolingo, you mentioned mm -hmm. the dictionary, and what would you recommend? Where should we start? Mm. I think um, as, a, as a very first start, I actually would recommend just the Wikipedia article on Klingon, because it's quite large, it's quite complete, and, and it gives a good explanation. So people can get an overview how Klingon in general works. I, I think that's always a good start to, to start with the Wikipedia article to, to know a little bit about the language. And then I always recommend the, the Klingon dictionary. Mine is pretty used. It's already falling apart. So this is a very good idea um, because it starts explaining the grammar and it has the, the most basic words. Then, as I said before, Duolingo is also a good start. But sometimes I think the, the words are, you, you learn them in, in, in a strange order. I think among the first words you learn is the word for uh, sensor, a sensor yeah. like, like uh, to scan, a scanning device. And I think that this should not be among the first five lessons. <laughs> this should come later. Maybe first learn water and speak, eat, <laughs> die, <laughs> and so on. Um, but it's, it's, it's a good start and good practice because it lets you translate sentences. And then a very good uh, place is the Facebook group Learn Klingon. You can ask a lot of things. There are a lot of experts there who can answer your questions. You can try writing a small sentence or mm -hmm. speak about your day and other people can correct you if you like. There's also a group on Discord. So it's called the, the Klingon Language Institute group, I think. 
Um, and you can join there and meet uh, fellow Klingonists. And um, that's also where we have a lot of online meetings. Um, what else is there? I, I used to teach Klingon in Switzerland, actually. So Yeah, that um, is so cool. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and since you are in Switzerland, maybe, yeah, that's interesting for you too. Um, it was a few years ago that a famous um, adult learning center, the so-called Club Schule Migro, asked me if I wanted to teach Klingon. And I said, like, why not? Usually they offer languages like like French, Spanish, Russian, Arabic, and so on. But yeah, uh, then I taught Klingon for three years. And actually, um, now they asked me, even though I'm living in Leipzig again, they asked me if I wanted to teach Klingon um, remotely via yeah. Zoom or, or something. So maybe this year, uh, if I'm lucky and enough people sign up, I can teach Klingon. In, this, in German. <laughs> this would be so cool. So let me know if you will start mm -hmm. the online uh, lesson. Then I, I can will, put I it will. on my show notes as well. So yeah. what was the typical learner like when you were in Switzerland giving lessons? Mm -hmm. Were there always only fans of the Star Trek series or were there other people as well? Mostly there were fans. Mostly Star Trek fans. Um, I also, at the beginning of the courses, I always ask, like, okay, can you introduce yourself and also say what brought you to the course to Klingon? Most of them were Star Trek fans, some were like science fiction fans mm. in general. Some people were just very interested in artificial languages. We also had one mathematician, a, um, I, I think a lecturer from the ETH University in mathematics. Um, and he, he, He said, like, okay, yeah, he likes Star Trek, but most of all, he likes systematic uh, structures. Okay. <laughs> so he wanted to see if Klingon has a systematic structure and patterns. Okay, yeah. and, and what was his conclusion um, in the end? I has think... It, I, has yeah. it structure enough for him? <laughs> I, I, think, I think he, he did. I, I guess he, he, he thought, well, okay, yes, this is a very structured language. <laughs> he asked a lot of <laughs> questions about uh, mathematical expressions, how to say the square root of, of seven in Klingon. And I said, like, um, I, I don't know. <laughs> I have to look it up. I never, I never used this. Mm. Okay, so from your explanations, I assume that the community is very supportive, right? So if I were to begin to, to learn Klingon, there would have enough people there to to help me right also to converse or to i mean because a huge part of of languages is also the speaking part and i yes. imagine it's difficult to pronounce correctly mm -hmm. if it's a, a, a constructed language yeah that's that's right you're right so for the pronunciation i can also recommend youtube videos you could search for a klingon teacher and you will find videos that explain the pronunciation. But um, you are absolutely right that a big part of language learning, and for me also the fun part, is actually speaking with people. And that does work in Klingon, but um, usually there are so few Klingon speakers that it's difficult to find them in the wild. And that's where the internet is very useful. So in this yes, sure. Facebook group and in the Discord group, there are many people who who are eager to speak and practice with you and also to explain the grammar with you and uh, to you. And yeah. Um, yeah, so 
that's a good way to to start and practice. And I also enjoy that. Yesterday evening we had a a group meeting online on Discord, and one guy was explaining the names of animals in Klingon. So I, I learned a few new words uh, for animals in Klingon, and we used the language. We talked about animals in Klingon. Yeah, <laughs> cool. <laughs> mm. So now let's talk about identity a little bit, because mm -hmm. in my opinion, identity plays a huge role when learning a language. For example, also the culture, the food, and whatsoever. So since Klingon is a constructed language, what do you say about that? I mean, is there enough culture? Or do you know what I mean? Because it's all like made up. Yeah, I, I know. Yeah, like you can you can totally immerse yourself in Chinese culture, history, yeah, exactly. and, and, and the language. But for artificial languages, it's sometimes a bit more difficult for esperanto people say that esperanto has a culture and i would also agree with that because the meetings and the the community of esperanto speakers is so much bigger and so much older that there has developed a sort of uh, culture with klingon speakers i would hesitate uh, to say that this is the case also because some of them try to follow the, the Klingon thinking from the series yeah. and say, like, yeah, I'm a warrior, I'm strong <laughs> and powerful, I do not cry. If I make a mistake, that's not, not a problem. And others are, are more like, I'm not a Klingon, I'm, I'm, I'm a Terran, I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a human. <laughs> I just want to learn this language. And they are interested in the Klingon culture, but they don't subscribe to this. I also, like as a learner or former learner of Chinese, I don't necessarily want to be Chinese. I, yes. I don't want to to drink hot water <laughs> and uh, and and yeah, I don't know, practice uh, um, yeah. like Chinese belief systems or so. But I, I, I'm interested in the culture and want to learn a lot about it. So um, yeah, and I remember that from from the series, sometimes the Klingons are eating something which is terrible. Humans would never eat that. So, <laughs> oh, some some humans do eat uh, okay. worms or, or bugs. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I I would not. I have to say, like, no no bugs or insects or uh, worms for me. <laughs> <laughs> you must not take my my question seriously. And of, of course, course, I mean, culture. You have science fiction, right? You have all the series, and and, and you have mm -hmm. in a way you have something to share when you are speaking mm. the Klingon language, of course. That's so right. Mm. Let's, let's speak maybe of Star Trek Discovery. Mm -hmm. In particular, season one, which came out 2017. Because this series is very, very Klingon heavy, in my view. And also when it comes to, to listening to Klingon, because they mm -hmm. are speaking a lot in Klingon. So... Yeah. My question to you is, is there a difference of the Klingon language compared to maybe older series or older movies? What can you say about that? Yeah, there is a little difference. I would say maybe you could say there are three different kinds of Klingon in the Star Trek series. One is the Klingon you hear in the movies, in the older movies, uh, like Star Trek 1 to Star Trek Seven or Star Trek Six, which is very good because Mark Okrand uh, made up all the dialogues and made up new words and wrote the lines. So this is very good Klingon and it's very interesting to hear that. 
Um, then there is the Klingon we hear in The Next Generation, uh, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, and Enterprise, which is, um, yeah, which is Klingon, but it's not good Klingon, I have to say, because the the makers of these series did not consult with Mark Okrand. They they just looked up words in the book mm. and the, the actors mispronounced them. The, the the grammar is all muddled up and doesn't make any sense. Sometimes it's very difficult to really even understand what they are saying. Um, in Voyager, for example, I, I remember there was one episode with Belana Torres who... I can't remember what, what she did, but I, I think she remembered uh, in a vision encountered her mother on the barge of the dead or something like that. And there, were, there was a Klingon sentence said, and it was impossible to understand because the grammar was wrong, the pronunciation was wrong. Yeah. Terrible. <laughs> but, but then for Discovery, they actually did not hire Mark Okrand, but they hired a very uh, fluent and very good Klingon speaker from Canada. Uh, Robin Stewart, and also known uh, with her uh, by her Klingon name Krove, and uh, she made all the dialogues. And uh, if she needed a new word, she asked Mark Okran to, to to give her that word. Yeah. So sorry to but, interrupt you, Andre, but yeah. do do you have a Klingon name too? I I don't have a Klingon no. name. Um, okay, I, what I a pity. <laughs> yeah, I sometimes try to come up with one, but then I'm, I don't know, I'm, I'm too picky with names. So I, I just see myself as a Federation xenolinguist who uh, explores <laughs> see, the Klingon language. So I'm just yeah. Andre or sometimes Andrew. <laughs> and on Discovery yeah. Series mm -hmm. 1, I think they, they even hired an, an accent coach to train the, the actors. And yeah. for me, mm -hmm. it just, it blew me away because... It was so authentic, even mm -hmm. though it's a constructed language. But it mm -hmm. was it was amazing. So I recommend yeah. to all of the listeners to to watch, uh, especially season one, to to listen mm -hmm. to the Klingon language. Yeah, and, uh, and especially you can hear they get better with the maybe in the first episode it's still a bit choppy, but then it gets better. And especially two actors were really uh, great. One is. Um, I can't remember her name, but the actor of Laurel and also the actor of Vogue. And they, they have a really expert pronunciation. Mary Chifo was her name, I remember. Yeah, and I assume that this was really hard work, right? With the mm -hmm. accent coach, because you, you have to train yourself to, to get used to, yeah. to pronounce correctly. And yeah. I mean, with you too, Andre, because you began 1995, I think you, you mentioned mm -hmm. it, right? With yeah. the dictionary. 95 or 6, yeah. And up to this day, so you had many years and, and still you, you don't even consider yourself as 100% fluent. Mm. Yeah, that's because I, uh, in the beginning, I, I dabbled with the language a little bit, but I didn't have any guide except for this book. And so I made a lot of mistakes, beginner's mistakes, and uh, nobody corrected them. But then yeah. in 2002, 3, 4 or something, I, I became a member of the online community and I saw what other people wrote. I asked questions, I was corrected. And I thought like, wow, I, I really have to rethink everything. Recently, I cleaned up papers, old papers from years ago here uh, in, in my uh, apartment, and I found old 
Klingon notes from, <laughs> I don't know, from when, 2002 or three. Um, and they were full of mistakes. Not, not just like mistakes like, oh, I used the wrong word, but like, God, what, what did I do to the grammar? What was I thinking? <laughs> yeah, I think last year or two, two years ago when Corona hit us, I uh, started relearning the Klingon language um, like, like fully. I said like, okay, if I yeah. encounter a word that I don't know yet, I will put it into Anki. That's the vocabulary program that I use. I will put it into Anki and repeat it. So every day I repeat the Klingon words. So I, I try to remember them. And I think that's how I know like around 2,500 words now. So not the full lexicon, maybe half of half of it. I see, but yeah. The, the, the useful half of it, I would say. <laughs> yeah. Okay, and can you imagine creating or constructing a language on your own? I can imagine that. And I, I tried it before. I tried it twice because I thought like, wow, other people invent languages. I Maybe I should try that. Maybe it's interesting. And like I started a bit, but then I gave up because um, it's, it's very, it feels very arbitrary. I think I'm not a very creative person in the sense that I can come up with a language that, um, that I like <laughs> because I always think of, oh, I, I like this and that language. I, I want... Like I like this feature so much. I want this language I to have see. this feature. But then I think like, but where do I take the words from? I, I mean, what is the word for water in the language that I'm inventing? I, I, I can't just pull it out of thin air. I want to take it from somewhere else and maybe change it. So one idea is that I have for the far future for creating one constructed language. So, you know, Latin and, you know, like French, Italian, Spanish, Romance languages all derive from Latin. Latin in the time, in the times of the Roman Empire had sister languages that were spoken in Italy. Sisters languages like, like Sabellic and Feliscan and Oscan and Umbrian. Those were like languages similar to Latin, like Italian is similar to French, but they went all extinct and only Latin survived. And I wonder what would have happened to French, Italian, Spanish, if not Latin had survived, but Oscan. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and then I, what I want to do is like to, to learn Oscan or Umbrian or one of those, and then apply all the same sound changes that led from Latin to French, Latin to Spanish, to Oscan or Umbrian to see how, how those languages would sound today. <laughs> that so would this be is like, amazing. But yeah. are there enough sources you can draw on? I think there might not be enough sources. So there are a few sources and we have inscriptions in, in these languages. But I think the vocabulary, if we um, collect all the words, I think it's only a few hundred words for those languages. Okay. So it might be difficult. But it's yes. an interesting thought experiment of all alternative history. Do you have a favorite saying in Klingon? Yeah, I, I thought about it and I have two sayings that I really like, if I may mention two sayings. Yes, of course. Yeah, so one of them is Rut uh, Rom which means literally means sometimes everyone encounters tribbles. Tribble is a small fluffy creature in Star Trek and Klingons really hate them. So the sentence actually <laughs> means something like... Um, Sometimes everyone has bad days. And I like this because this is a sentence that can apply to Klingons and their warrior culture. 
but also yes. to us humans <laughs> on Earth. And the other one is uh, when we are together in a greater whole, in a greater entity, we can succeed. So this is also something that is typically Klingon-like, like as a group, we can conquer everything. Yeah. <laughs> but it's also applicable to the to the normal world and to, to us on Earth. Like if we struggle, if we work together, we can maybe achieve what we plan. And where did you get them? Are they from the series or did you pick them in a book? As far as I know, so I, I have them in Anki, in my uh, vocabulary learning deck because they are useful. But I think originally they were published in a book called The Klingon Way, also by Mark Okrand, where he collects or collected typical Klingon sayings and idioms and wise words. And um, yeah, those are two wise words that um, yeah. are found in that book, I believe. I, f I find it beautiful also that Mark created this language without even imagining that one day people would speak the language. This is so cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. He was really surprised when he learned that people have actually learned the whole book and are trying to converse in this language in, in the 90s or late 80s. Yeah. yeah. And are there other constructed languages that you understand? Mm -hmm. So I'm fluent, even more fluent than in Klingon, in Esperanto, which is a, um, an international auxiliary language. So it's um, supposed to be easy to learn and easy to use. And there are maybe a few hundred thousand speakers in the world who speak uh, Esperanto. And I've learned that in 2002, yeah, 20 years ago, And I have used it quite quite often in my life. And I go to Esperanto meetings. I have friends to whom I speak in Esperanto. I use it online. Yeah. And another language, a small language where I know that I know only like a bit of is Tokipona. Um, that's I think I have a book somewhere here. Yeah. Tokipona. <laughs> it's it's a very simple and easy language with only 125 words and you might be surprised really? that this yeah the dictionary is quite fat but um all the words you have to combine them so there's a word for house and the words there's a word for water but if you say toilet you have to combine these words and say a water house yeah or nasa or something yeah that sounds also very interesting and i don't know if you like to talk about a youtube video which you made for I can't pronounce it, Wouter Korduwener. Yeah, a, I remember. A Dutch mm -hmm. YouTuber. And mm -hmm. the title was Xenolinguist Speaks Klingon and Many Other Rare Languages. And I was impressed because you were speaking in 18 languages. And this was some sort of a bet. Every time that Wouter would not understand you or... Mm -hmm or not able to respond, he would pay you five euros. And yes, I exactly. think in the end, he paid you about 50 euros, mm -hmm. I think. Yeah. And this was so incredible. I, I will read it very quickly. So the, the languages were English, German, Esperanto, Mandarin, Thai, Dutch, Burmese, Qing, Pao, Klingon, Spanish, French, Russian, Tses, Shan, Latin, Tokipona, Ido, 
then, but I can't even pronounce some of them. I'm yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. One of them, no problem. One of them was pronounced Jingpo. Okay, <laughs> it's Jing a language po. from from Myanmar. Um, I also have to say, like, um, so everyone who is watching this video or, or listening to this podcast will will now think, like, does he really speak eighteen languages? And I have to say, I don't really speak eighteen languages. But Walter asked me to, like, to to say stuff in all the languages I know, even if I know only a little bit of them. Yes, so it would would not be enough to 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 know um, hello, thank you in I don't know Albanian or so. But yes, um, sure. But, but but you are too humble because I saw that too that you you made a comment after the video was mm -hmm. uploaded in which you explained that you are not uh, mm. really 100% fluent in every of these languages. Yeah, and yeah. I just thought you mm. are just too humble and, and beating yourself up too much because <laughs> it's really impressive <laughs> what, what yeah. you are capable of. It's, it's just beautiful, <laughs> I must say. <laughs> mm. <laughs> and yeah, but ma many of these languages I do not practice anymore very much so for example russian i used to know russian i think i still can hold a conversation in russian but i don't learn it anymore so i'm i'm gradually forgetting all the words and i'm only working on like first seven languages or so i'm really working on and i hope that i can maintain them and the rest i think like thanks i i remember a little bit that's <laughs> enough for me <laughs> So would you say, as a linguist, is it easier to learn languages? Mm, yes, I would say so. Um, but um, not because of some uh, strange talent or so, but it's easier because um, as a linguist, it's, it's an easy thing to just read a grammar, like a grammar designed for linguists, and then remember how the grammar actually works. Um, so for many language learners... This seems dry and they can't remember this or they have a hard time understanding maybe what a causative is or something. But for me as a linguist, this is like, oh, this is the causative in the language. Mm. Okay, all, all right, I, I know what this means. Oh, a language has ergativity and, and something. Uh, other people have to like really focus. What, what does this mean? For me, it's already a familiar thing. So the theory helps me to put this into practice, I would say. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And a very difficult question now. What does it require to be a good linguist? Because maybe it's difficult because there are many different types of linguists, I guess. Yeah, oh, that's difficult to answer. You're right. There are many different kinds of linguists. Uh, some linguists work a lot with numbers and mm. uh, with statistics or uh, programming, and they have statistical models and um, AI or uh, computer learning algorithms and so on. Um, so this is very useful. And I think it's encouraged nowadays that linguists know a lot about statistics and about programming. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> they also should know a lot about languages, not necessarily a lot of languages. It's, it's very useful to have a wide view about uh, what is out there, not, in, not necessarily in languages, but also in the research what other linguists do and what theories are out there. So you can maybe take their theories and apply them to your um, focus area or something like that. Yeah, I'm not sure. You did mm. your research in Myanmar. 
Mm-hmm. So what was the mission about? Yeah, my my focus there was to explore the, the language contact in the north of the country of Myanmar or, or Burma, because in the north of the country, there's a, a state called the Kachin state. There are lots of small indigenous languages there uh, being spoken. And a lot of people speak more than one language. So these languages influence each other in different ways. And I try to find out how they influenced each other. Like not only did they exchange words, loan words, but also the grammar influenced each other. And you could say, oh yeah, this feature must have come from that language. Mm. And uh, I tried to look into that. So I did not do a lot with numbers or statistics or uh, these things, but more qualitative studies, like not quantitative, but qualitative, looking at what is out there and trying to explain these. But did you have to learn all of these different languages mm. up to a certain degree? Luckily, not all of them. I, I had to learn Burmese, the, the national language of, of Myanmar, uh, to, to be able to speak to people and to get around there, of course. And I also decided to learn Jingpo, which is the lingua franca in the north, uh, the language that most of the people there speak. And I have to say, uh, learning Jingpo was easier than learning Burmese. Um, (laughs) But the other languages I did not learn fully to a way that I could speak them, but I learned them a bit. I learned how their grammar works. for, For me, that's something that's more easy to remember. But I did not learn all the words for all these, I don't know, 10 yeah, languages yeah. out there. But since some of them are very similar to each other, it helped me so that um, sometimes I could understand a few bits and pieces of these languages. But um, as a linguist, you don't always have to learn the languages fully. You can like analyze them with the help of native speakers and with the help of dictionaries and yeah. grammars. Yeah. So it was not always fieldwork for example, talking with the people mm. um, right there. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't always that. Sometimes okay. it was, but oftentimes it was that I went there with an assistant who, who spoke Jingpo, Burmese and English. And um, we used all three languages to speak to each other. And then she helped me to find the other people. And then we transcribed what they said. So I, I recorded people and I had them give me the translation of what they said in either in Burmese or in Jingpo, um, or, or sometimes in English or Chinese even. And then at home in Switzerland back then, I, I tried to figure out how the language works mm. by comparing the original and the translation. Sounds mm. very interesting. Yeah, it was. May I ask you what your next mission will be? Or maybe it's not a mission, but... Your, your upcoming plans? Mm. I I don't know yet. So I, I have finished my PhD. I uh, moved back to Germany and now I'm, well, taking a break from my PhD. And I'm also looking for something new to do. I don't know what that will be. I might not do anything anything in research Maybe constructing a language, of course. <laughs> oh yeah, that, yeah, learning learning Umbrian or Oscan, <laughs> maybe, maybe, yeah. yeah. But so I, I recently, like, basically last week, I got asked if I could work for the University of Zurich again, but remotely from my computer, mm-hmm. and to work in a new project called Out of Asia, that will compare the languages of Asia 
or Eurasia with the languages of uh, the Americas, because we know America was settled by uh, people from, from Asia who went over the Bering Street to North America and South America. And linguists want to find out if there are, uh, well, shared words and also especially shared grammar between those two continents. And they asked me if I would like to work on noun classes in those languages. So I might go through a lot of language grammars and take out information and put them in a database. But that's only a small job that I will do for the next six okay. months, I think. I mm. see. And after that, something with languages, but perhaps not a postdoc. I, I will see Okay, thank you very I much. I take offers, <laughs> I take offers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the last question would be about DeepL or machine learning mm -hmm. programs. Mm -hmm. So do you think this type of softwares or websites are a good tool to learn languages? Mm. Good question. I don't know DeepL very much. I know it's said to be better than Google Translate, and I have sometimes compared translations in both. Mm -hmm. in, in, in both, And of course, I noticed that over the past years, Google Translate became much better. When I sometimes have to read articles in Japanese, and I don't speak Japanese, I can mm -hmm. put them in Google Translate, and the outcome is actually good enough for me to understand what the article is about. Uh, in DeepL, I have not tried this, but is it good for language learning? I think sometimes it is, but I only use, use those for looking up collocations. So for example, when I, when I talk to someone or chat with someone in Spanish, and I, I don't know if you say, like, I, I dream about something. Do I dream about, yeah. of, with, or how, how do you say that? I think in Spanish it's something, I dream with you or something. Um, if I don't know this, I can enter it in Google Translate and usually the result will be very good because it's a collocation, uh, a bunch of words that occur very frequently. So that's useful. But I would not use it to look up single words because, you know, words have a lot of translations. I would use a dictionary for that. But of course, if I come across something that I cannot understand in Russian or Spanish or Chinese, then I can put mm. it into Google Translate or DeepL and hope that this will help me. But I would not use it as a main tool for language learning. Yeah, sure. Mm. That makes sense. So yeah. thank you very much, Andre. It was really interesting to, to mm -hmm. hear all of these interesting uh, tips and tricks and the story behind uh, Klingon mm -hmm. and I wanted to ask also if it's okay if I share the link to the Klingon crash course in my show mm -hmm. notes yeah. sure no problem okay. I think I also gave a crash course on Navi which is another constructed language from oh, great. Avatar, <laughs> which I used to learn a little bit and used to speak <laughs> a little bit but not mm -hmm. anymore mm. so I also wanted to ask you if you were mm -hmm. up to it, maybe maybe in three months, four months, I don't know, to make another interview about Esperanto. This would be so mm -hmm. awesome. I would, I would love to do that, sure. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. thank you very much. And I will have a very good time when I 
edit、mm-hmm. the podcast because I love it to to re-listen to it and and to let it sink right and、mm-hmm. and it was really a, a pleasure to have you here. Great.、Yeah. So at the end, I want to say to you, Shochvat Jijat Lachmo Ed Tlingan Chol Virich Lachmo Katlo Vinech Ku Ed Nadev Jijat Tachvish. Uh, Great. And what did it mean? <laughs> <laughs> it means I I want to thank you very much that I could be here and talk to you and talk about the Klingon language. It yeah. was a pleasure. Thank you so much, Andre. <laughs> also to me. Thanks. Yeah. See you, Daniel. No, no. Sorry,、yes. sorry. I have.、Yeah. <laughs> a last question I forgot. This is really important, but you don't have to take it too seriously, right? You are、mm-hmm. able to speak eighteen, nineteen languages, and you were in Switzerland, but you you are not able to speak the Swiss dialect. <laughs> that's that's sort of right. I I、mm, it depends on how much wine I drink, <laughs> but I I didn't fully learn Swiss German or, or Zurich German, but I. I could understand. I can understand everything. I'm not sure how it is with a Wallis dialect. Wallisertich. Wallisertich. That's that's actually schwierig for me. Yeah, but whenever I try to speak Swiss German, sometimes some Swiss people tell me that, "Oh, that sounds already quite good," and other people say, "Oh God, no, don't, please don't, horrible." Okay.、And、so I I got a bit disencouraged and thought like.、Mm. It's fine. I, I well, speak standard German because there are so many different、um, dialects. Yeah. So it's、yeah. very difficult for you to pick up,、exactly. and and you、at、don't our, you don't、mm. need to pick up. It's not necessary. <laughs> yeah, and at our institute in Switzerland, everyone was from somewhere else. One person was from、yeah. uh, Zurich. Other people were from Basel, Basel, <laughs> from Bern, from Bernau Oberland,、mm. from.、Mm. I don't know Argau, and whenever I ask, like, how do you say this in Swiss German, blah blah, blah. and they were like, "Yeah, it's Grundproof." Ah, it depends. It depends. Oh God, everything depends. So in the end, I didn't learn anything. Okay. <laughs> Embarrassing.、Hmm. Awesome. No, don't take it too seriously. I was yeah, just yeah. joking. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> okay.、Hmm. Bye, Andre. Okay. Then bye. bye. Yes. Kapla. <laughs>